Friends, please pray with me. Spirit of the living God, speak to us. Holy Spirit, speak through us. Spirit of the living God, speak in spite of us. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in whose name we pray. Amen. On Palm Sunday, I want to talk to you about stones, not so much palms. Not the rolling stones who gather no moss. Not the kidney stones, sorry to bring that up. Just references about the use of stone or the meaning of stone in the Bible. I, when I read this passage about the stones would cry out, they would shout out, I thought about all those moments where stones are referenced. Memorial stones, if you remember those, like the one Jacob marks to remember his dream about a stairway to heaven. I'm on a roll with the rock uh, references here. <laughs> stairway to heaven at Bethel, meaning the house or place of God and that God must have been there. And he sets up a marker. It was the stone he had slept on. And then there are the 12 stones, each representing the 12 tribes of Israel that Joshua uses to ask uh, the people of Israel as they cross over the Jordan into the promised land, choose you this day, whom shall you serve? And this is an altar or later by the prophet Elijah who will use this once again, whom shall you serve? Baal or shall you serve the one and true God and offer a sacrifice? Then there's the prophet Samuel. Here I raise my Ebenezer, we sing, marking the place of God's help with his Ebenezer, the stone of my help, to remind him of those gracious moments of God's deliverance. In that case, deliverance from the hands of his enemies. Where else are stones referenced in the Bible? They are used to render judgment, stones to condemn someone to death. And in some places of the world, that is still the case. The people of Israel are described often in Scripture as hard-hearted toward God with stone hearts. I shall rep replace their hearts of stone with hearts of flesh, God promises. There's also the stones that are used to build the great first temple, meant to symbolize God's presence and also be the physical place of God's manifestation. Where else is stone referenced? In the Psalms, the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and that Jesus will later quote this passage and later, the letter to the Ephesians will reference this passage, and the apostle Peter will quote it in his letter. A stone is also referenced when Jesus commands that it be removed from the tomb of Lazarus. No one and no stone even can stand in the way of new life in Christ. And of course, there's today's passage. The religious leaders are trying to keep this entry to Jerusalem from becoming a parade of palms. Tell them to be quiet. You've got to understand before you rush to judgment. You see, they likely believed that this was blasphemous. For these people to be receiving Jesus as king, 
was an affront. Only the true Messiah could be heralded with hosannas and palm branches and cloaks on the road received in this sort of processional. Not some Galilean religious rebel, someone, some military hero, in fact, to, to deliver them from Rome's grasp. And riding on the donkey cult would not have been lost on them. This would have been a prophetic fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9 that God's chosen one, the anointed one, the Messiah, would enter Jerusalem humbly to deliver God's people. And this is an especially tricky time. It's not just a religious issue that they have with this procession. It's a political issue. The Sanhedrin, the Jewish council that represented different factions of Jewish leaders, were simply trying to keep the peace between Rome and Jewish Palestine. The area had long been the site of rebels, the zealot movement, revolutionaries, a place that Rome had subdued violently on many occasions. In fact, during major Jewish celebrations, a show of force was par for the course. Just listen to how this author describes it. Once a year during the Passover, the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, moved his headquarters to Jerusalem to prevent any outbreaks of insurgency against Roman rule. Such outbreaks were a constant danger. So in a show of military force, the parade included cavalry on horses, foot soldiers, leather armor, helmets, weapons, banners, golden eagles mounted on poles, sun glinting on metal and gold with beating drums and marching feet. They would have had a sobering effect on all those who saw this parade. There would have been no shouts of Hosanna as the powerful pilot rode astride of his horse hoping to strike fear into the resentful onlookers. The, lead, the leaders demanding that Jesus rebuke his disciples certainly maybe had the best interest in mind of the palm wavers that day because palms were also a way to welcome Rome's conquering heroes. There was too much at stake. Jesus, keep them quiet. But then Jesus says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will shout out. All creation, of course, is made to the glory of God. All creation sings God's praises. We're told in Scripture that the mountains and the trees will praise God. Perhaps Jesus was trying to remind them of that fact. Maybe Jesus was even trying to call them out. Don't you see that God is doing something great here? So great that if they don't praise me, the stones will because nothing can stand in the way of my task. Perhaps Jesus was rebuking them for their stone-cold silence and hearts of stone. Even these stones on the ground are more open to what God is doing than you, Jesus seems to be saying. To you who have closed yourselves off from God's movement in the world, don't be stumbling stone blocks. But it made me think about how we use stones in our lives. Are we the kind of people who throw stones of condemnation with our gossip and dishonesty, our pride? Jesus says the one who is without sin should cast the first stone. 
Do we offer people grace the way Jesus offers it? Makes me wonder about memorial stones. How do we mark the moments in which God has offered us grace? Maybe it's a journal entry or a painting. Maybe it's a moving book on a shelf, a scripture we can recite, a hymn we've memorized. Maybe it's volunteering to lead a Bible study or a small group or to tell your testimony the way God has blessed you to others, especially those who might not know the faith or need a good reminder. I wonder if we've encountered the chief cornerstone that was rejected and refused as we look to Holy Week at the passion of our Lord. We look also toward resurrection hope. We look beyond the betrayal and denial and the unjust condemnation in a corrupt trial of Jesus crucified and a stone that would be placed in front of his tomb like Lazarus only to discover that no stone can stand in the way of the new day God is bringing. But it also made me think, it made me wonder about this palm procession as they welcomed Jesus as a king. It made me wonder, have we welcomed Jesus as our king? I don't mean do we know about Jesus. I don't mean do we know about his kingship. But have we received and welcomed Jesus as our king? This passage today shows us at least three ways that are signs or three signs that point to our receiving of Jesus as king. They are to worship, to obey, and to expect. To worship the hosannas, to save us, O Lord, shouting out. This would have been used in the kingly procession in the time of David, the cloaks and the palms, as I've shared with you, to honor returning and conquering heroes. This was praise at its fullest. This is what we try to do every Sunday as we sing hymns together and stand for prayer and re remind one another of the faith and the tradition that has been handed down for thousands of years to worship God. This is what we're called to do throughout the week in prayer and in praise to worship the living God. But secondly, to obey you see, Jesus tells the disciples, go and fetch me a colt. And when they're confronted and they say, what, what are you doing? Why do you need this? The Lord needs it. That's it. I don't understand the fullness of the story. The disciples don't seem to try to reason and argue and wonder. They just say, this is what the Lord wants and this is what the Lord will get. I wonder, what would that do to us if we accepted Jesus as king? Would we obey what would that mean about our time? What would that mean about the use of our talent? What would that mean about how we invest our treasure? What would that do? And thirdly, to expect great things. You see, they're not simply worshiping the one who comes. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They don't just obey the one who comes. Fetch me a colt and bring it to me. But thirdly, they're expecting that this one is going to save them. Even though he has no army, 
He has no military strategy. Somehow he is going to save them from the oppression of Rome. He's going to save them even from something much worse, themselves. The number of times I've been asked to pray for someone and say, well, you know, what would you like? Do you want me to pray for healing? Do you, do you want me to pray for this, this transformation? No, just, just pray for comfort. I think it's because we're afraid of being disappointed. If we pray for healing and it doesn't happen, what, what will happen to my faith? Will I be disappointed? But you know, our ancestors in the faith, they would pray for healing now, O Lord, or they would pray for healing later. But one way or another, we are trusting in God to truly heal, trusting in God to deliver us, trusting in God for the miracle. Do we expect great things? If we do not worship Jesus, if we just like Jesus, you know, he's a friend we hang out with. He's a wise counselor, maybe. He's a sage with words of wisdom. We are not worshiping him as king. If we do not obey him, even at the cost of whatever we have, even at the challenge of whatever we possess, we are not welcoming him as king. And if we do not expect great things that Jesus is going to do, great things in our lives, here and now and in the life to come, then we are not treating him as kings. The Apostle Peter sums it up best as I near the end of our sermon today. Come to him, the living stone, he writes, Though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight, and like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, see, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To you then who believe he is precious. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone that makes them stumble and a rock that makes them fall. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Everyone is building a house, but not everyone has the chief cornerstone. Everyone has a king, but not everyone's king is Christ's. Who is your king? I pray that we would be living stones, praising stones. May our lives be a living sacrifice bearing witness to the ultimate and fullest sacrifice of all, the God of love who in Christ Jesus lives and dies and lives again for you and for me. Friends, no more hearts of stone. Church, no more stone-cold silence. Kirk, no more stones of judgment being cast. Instead, let the stones be removed, keeping us from new life in Christ. May stones of judgment fall from our hands and may living stones take their place, praising God and being built 
by the master architect into a spiritual temple to witness God's love in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.